You're listening to a podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference. The seventh annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2017. The conference was generously supported by the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies at NUI Galway, the School of Humanities at NUI Galway, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Disciplines of History and English at NUI Galway, the Women's History Association of Ireland and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Alton Lally from NUI Galway. His paper was entitled 17th Century Dominican Connacht, The Medieval Heritage of the Order of Preachers and the Counter-Reformation in the West. This paper is going to demonstrate how the position held by the Dominican Order within the religious inheritance of Connacht offered a central stage in which it was to take a leading role in the social, religious and political conflicts that marked 17th century Ireland. Connacht, for the purpose of this paper, will follow its ecclesiastic model, namely the province of Tune. In other words, what is coterminous with present-day county Sligo, Roscommon, Mayo and Galway. Most of country Leitrim lies in the province of Armagh and as such will not receive attention. The first part of the paper will offer an overview of the preeminent position held by the Dominicans in Connacht prior to the 17th century, as well as briefly outlining how Dominican Connacht continued to play a critical role in the relig- religious marketplace in the 17th century maintaining centuries-long generational attachments with the leading families of the Western province. The Dominican Order also proved to make a lasting impact on many of the leading families or tribes of Galway. The second half of the paper will attempt to generationally follow one such family in the 17th century. Last Sunday, the annual Blessing of Galway Bay took place. If any of you are interested in the wording of the ritual in question, Daphne Pochin Mole published its pre-Vatican II Latin form in her study of the Irish Dominicans in 1957. As you might expect, it's recited in the vernacular by the friars today, but it's otherwise identical in form to what appears in her book. Daphne Mole became a Dominican tertiary at the Clado while she was researching her publication, and I understand she had access to the friars' library while writing it. The wording of the ritual reproduced in her book is taken from an 1825 edition of what was an amalgam of Catholic benedictions and other rites that had been collected by the reformed Czech Franciscan Bernardo Sanning sometime before he died in 1704. The Dominican blessing of Galway Bay takes place on Sunday closest to the 15th of August, the Feast of the Assumption, marking what was once the beginning of the season for those fishing the large shoals of hurrying that passed the western seaboard. A fairly familiar early 19th century description of the commencement of the hurry season, by the Clada fishing fleet, runs as follows. On the appointed day, all the boats around the bay, which generally muster about 500 large and small, rendezvous with the quay, and upon a signal given, all sail out at once in regular order. The beauty of this sight is inconceivable, and when viewed from one of the heights about the town, is perhaps one of the most gratifying that can be imagined. Dominican friars dating back to the 1500s seem to have been seen by fishermen along the western seaboard as having some kind of supernatural power over the sea. 
According to secular priest and Galway native John Lynch in De Presulibus Hibernia, the prior of the Sligo Dominicans at Holy Cross in the mid-1500s, Quintin O'Higgin, after crossing into Donegal, blessed the bay around Killybegs, which resulted in a miraculous increase in, in fish. Whereas James Hardyman, writing over 300 years after Lynch's work, relays other fishermen that work Galway Bay, cheerfully and liberally shared their catch with the Franciscans and Augustinians. And I quote, but particularly did so with the Dominicans, who reside immediately near the sea, under a firm belief that their prayers render the watery element more abundant. It's pure conjecture as to when the Dominicans began performing this rite. Early modern chroniclers of the city of Galway seldom, if ever, concerned themselves with customs and practices of the town's population outside that of the higher echelons of Galway city that made up the tribes of the town. The Dominicans' friars' relationship with those that made their living off the seas around Galway city, however, might help illustrate how friars throughout Ireland possessed fundamental advantages over the secular clergy, which perhaps in no small measure may have helped paraphrase Euphenine in their ultimate doing in the 18th century. Naturally belonging to a religious community that possessed a generational awareness, knowledge and appreciation far and off the surrounds in which they administer the sacraments is altogether different than a secular priest, as it were, walking in cold into, a, into an appointed parish. A community of friars would also offer diverse personalities, diverse backgrounds, diverse skill sets that by extension, attracted a broad base and might make up a congregation that attached itself to a given convent. Coupled with this, of course, was a generational attachment that in the case of Dominican convents at Athenry in present-day County Galway, Roscommon and Sligo, as well as that at Strade and Rathfran in County Mayo, date back to the 13th century. Later foundations in Connacht, such as that at Clunchanville, Portumna, Tumbiola, Erlor, Barshul, Kilcorban, Clunimihin, Ballandoon, and indeed the Clada community here in Galway expanded the network of influences, influence wielded by the order that made up Dominican Connacht. I know I'm labouring this August 15th rope, but the Feast of the Assumption also corresponds to the same date that St Dominic first dispersed his friar, friars throughout Europe. And indeed, last Tuesday marked the 800th anniversary of that event. The friars' preachers or Dominicans' dispersal was to have a profound effect on the social and religious landscape of Western Europe not least of which on the university project itself, of which conferences like this one might owe a considerable debt. The first of the mendicants to land in Ireland, the Dominicans made their foundation in Dublin in 12... Their first foundation in Dublin in 1224, where the forecourts presently stands. In the same year, they make a foundation at Drogheda, and a year later are in Kilkenny. By 1241, the friars' preachers crossed the Shannon, becoming the first mendicants to do so and the ubiquitous foundations of the order that subsequently dappled the western province were to leave an indelible mark on its landscape in more ways than one. Prior to the Dominicans making foundations in Connacht, the Sheilmura and Ivrian aristocratic families had used Clonmacnoise as their burial grounds. The ancestors of what later became the O'Connors Don, Roe and Sligo, as well as the various McDermott's, McDonough's and others. With the Dominicans' arrival in the West... What eventually became these family successors would subsequently be interned in the various Dominican foundations that were to dot east and northwest Connacht. The McDermott's of Mylurg and McDermott's, of McDermott's Row proved somewhat of an exception, being buried at Kilronon and Boyle Abbey in North Roscommon, 
neither of which, which were Dominican establishments. However, nor were their foundations made by rival mendicant orders, while Abbey being populated by cloistered Cistercian monks. By the 17th century, these McDermott's Mylorg and McDermott's Row are making up the ranks of the Dominican order in ever-increasing numbers. The successor of the last of the McDermott's of Mylorg, Brian Og MacDermott, was interned at Clonmacnoise at his death and notably buried in the Dominican habit. Incidentally, there was one particular branch of the McDermott's that used the Dominican grounds of Clunchanville as their hereditary burial ground. However, only the McDermott's themselves were allowed to be buried there. Their wives had to be interned elsewhere. Phelan O'Connor established the Dominicans at Roscommon in the 1250s, and with these, Dominican, with these Roscommon Dominicans, his O'Connor's Don and Roe descendants were subsequently interned. O'Connor had also been responsible for the building of the rectory for the Athenry Dominicans a decade earlier, which was established by the third Baron of Athenry, Miller Birmingham, whose descendants were also, would also use it as their resting place. Athenry, Dominican Abbey of St. Peter and Paul, in many respects, is important of what was to come. Local Gaelic magnates such as Eugene O'Hine built the dormitory, Dermot Tressley, its hospice, Cornelius O'Kelly, its chapter house, Arthur McGallagley, its infirmary, whereas Rory O'Shaughnessy gave unspecified gifts, and Archbishop MacFlynn erected its house for scholars. The reason why I recite all of the above 13th century surnames is that, as we shall see, these same families are quite literally still being recorded in the latter half of the 17th century as being fraternally linked to the, the Athenry Friars. From their arrival in the West in 1241, the leading Gaelic and Anglo-Norman families began a long-standing attachment with the Friars of St. Dominic, which the Reformation proved unable to untangle. By the time of the dissolution of the monasteries, the MacWilliam Ether or Mayo Brooks of Turlock were buried with the Burrishul Dominicans, as well as continuing to provide generations of friars to this community, whereas the powerful Clan Rickards had joined the Birminghams in being buried with the Dominicans at Athenry, and the House of Clan Rickard were also to contribute many friars to the order in the 17th century. Sligo Abbey had been the resting place for the O'Connor Sligo for centuries. Indeed, all of the extant references to the Carberry O'Connors in the Blake family record contain the seal of the Sligo Friars, whereas the, Conor, the O'Connors Don and Roe were still being buried with the Dominicans at Common. And with respect to, the, to Sligo Abbey, leading merchant families of the town, such as the O'Cranes or O'Credigans, and the O'Harts had become intrinsically linked to the Sligo Friars by the time of the dissolution of the monasteries. And indeed, Eugene O'Hart, the Dominican Bishop of O'Connery from 1562 to 1603, had represented the province of Connacht at the last sessions of Trent, whereas Sligo Dominican confrere Andrew O'Crane, OP, was likewise Bishop of Elphin between 1562 and 1594. Both men proved instrumental in Dominican Tridentine dominance of northwest and eastern Connacht during this period. The turn of the 17th century, however, sees an ageing and worn-out membership making up the ranks of the friars, a membership that was hovering on the verge of extinction with what has been estimated to be about 40 friars left in Ireland, most of whom were scattered around Connacht and West Ulster. Indeed, Luke Tahaney forwarded that the figure may have been as low as 20 at the turn of the century. The subsequent Dominican revival over the next four decades saw an increasing number of friars returning to the West and other parts of Ireland from the continent that represent an impressive recovery. By the mid-1640s, there were about 400 Dominican friars in Ireland, with a further 200 studying abroad. 
as James Hardyman put it, regarding the, 19, the 1640s, the affairs of the Catholics of Ireland were in a flourishing state, and particularly those of the Dominicans. If Lutani's figure of 20 Dominicans in the country at the beginning of the century is correct, in the subsequent four decades, the order's ranks in Ireland had multiplied by 20-fold. By the 1640s, the Dominicans might be seen as prime movers, both in religious and political spheres. Holy Cross and Sligo acts as the focal point for the insurgents of the Northwest in the rebellion of 1641. A son of the Galway Dominicans, Oliver Burke O.P., delivers to the leading families of Dublin the reasons why the rebellion is justified. The same friar also brings to, Dub- to Dublin a model for the form of government to be observed throughout the Irish Kingdom, as well as a list of demands made by the rebels to the king. Whereas Phelan O'Connor, who took the habit for the Sligo community, is back from his studies in, studies in Spain by 1643, and later made prior at Kilkenny Abbey in the critical period after Runicini's arrival there, where he becomes his theologian and remains one of the nuncio's staunchest supporters. But by 1644, representatives of the most prominent tribes of Galway are also firmly ensconced in the ranks of the Dominicans. Gregory French is prior at Galway and appointed vicar to the Dominican nunnery that had just received sanction from a Dominican chapter at Rome. Sometime around 1643, or perhaps sometime before, the Dominican sisters seem to have formed a community in Galway, about the same time as the poor Clares moved to the town from Athlone. By the time Runicini makes his first visit to Galway, there's also a community of Augustinian sisters established in the town. Dominican and Franciscan friars had been openly using their churches for decades, and the Augustinians had recently regained their church at Fort Hill, and Mass was being said again at St. Nicholas's. While visiting Galway, Runicini is taken taken aback by the religiosity of the town and writes the Catholic religion is openly professed in this city as, as in Italy and this summer I have performed my functions and processions in Galway as I should have done in Fermo Ruccini leaves Ireland for good from the keys of Galway in 1649 and the nuncio's own description of that departure gives high praise to a exemplarily exemplarily Catholic town excuse me I do not know how I can better recompense the people of Galway for their constancy in always presenting a bold front against every wrong that threatened me and for their loyalty to your holiness than by laying their many merits at the feet of your holiness and by placing the record of their extraordinary fidelity in the Roman archives so that it may be known to posterity. It may be that in in its veneration of the papal office and in its defence of papal envoys, this remote part of the Christian world may serve as a model the corrupt nations that are nearer to Rome. The nuncio's description of the Galway he leaves behind at the century's, mid, the century's midway point reads like he was departing what amounted to the apogee of the Tridentine project. But by the second half of the 17th century, the Dominican order is becoming marked as, as exemplars of the religious inheritance of the town of Galway's most prominent families. Dated to 1668, the preface to the biography of Bishop of Kalala, Francis Kerwin, is dedicated to Galway native and canon regular priest Gregory Joyce. Joyce had been responsible with two other brothers for the financing of of the rebuilding of a church, school and priory for the Irish Dominicans in Louvain. The author cites six Joyce brothers who would become Dominicans in the 14th century, one of whom was confessor to a Plantagenet king and two others having served as, served as primate of Ireland. 
One of these 14th century friars was Walter Joyce, who was depicted by the biographer John Lynch as having intervened at a critical juncture in the heat of a, a decisive battle by giving what proved to be the victorious side the friar's blessing at the appropriate time. The same year, the biography of Kerwin is published. The Dominican church at the Clada was rebuilt by the citizens of the town. Archbishop of Armagh, Oliver Plunkett, wrote on visiting Galway five years after the Clada's church, church's completion that the citizens, citizens of Galway, and I quote, support no less than three convents, one of the Dominicans, another of the Augustinians, and a third of the Franciscans. The Dominicans have the best and most ornate church that is in the entire kingdom. Dominican friars in Galway throughout the 17th century seem to have powerful backers in the town. The standing of the order was held in Galway might be traced to the first decades, decade of the century when the Dominicans were on the verge of extinction with as few as 20 or best 40 friars nationwide. By the first decade of the century, recusancy has been well inculcated amongst the elites of Galway. Chichester's mandates go up and a couple of Lynch's, Browns and a Blake face fines and imprisonment rather than attend services at St Nicholas's. Whoever it was that had inculcated this recusancy, we can rule out the Jesuits as they don't make an appearance in Galway until 1620 and are certainly not in the town in the first decade of the century. Neither can we, can we look to the Franciscans who get back to Galway about five years after the events take place. Donamuni finishes his historical account of the Franciscan order about 1617, whereas the few Jesuits that are in Ireland are hyper-consciously creating a record of their activities in the country in the early years of the century, where minute details are being sent back to HQ of the SJ's, of the SJ's antics, evidently for posterity and the glory of the society. The Dominicans, on the other hand, don't really, as were, do history, until Edmund Burke and John O'Hein at the turn of the 18th century. Indeed, much of Edmund Burke's accounts rely on the oral history passed on to him by older friars. Relying on much of this oral history, the biographer of Bishop Kerwin, John Lynch, is believed to have finished his De Presilibus Hibernia in 1674. In it, Lynch points out that Daniel Credigan, OP, saved the Dominican order from inevitable extinction by placing some young men in Martin Font's house at Galway. Lynch is referring to a Daniel Credigan that returns to Ireland sometime about 1608. However, he seems to be mixing up his Daniel Credigans. From the context of the passage, he indicates that Daniel Credigan was provincial before Roche Mugagan's tenure in the post. Or as Lynch put it, ante Rochem, the only Daniel Credigan that was Dominican provincial before Mugagan's tenure was so between 1600 and 1603, after, after which he w went to Spain, where he died the following year. The port town of Galway is a logical location for what would have amounted as being a halfway house for individuals wishing to join the Dominicans en route to the continent. The need for such a pit stop before the continent was all the more pressing, as the, coll the colleges Galwegians were being sent to were being run by Jesuits. The OPs and the SJs were not on each other's Christmas card list at the time. Spain at the turn of the 17th century saw the high point of the so-called Molinist dispute between the Dominican and Jesuit orders, with Thomas Dominicans and Molinist Jesuits pitted against each other over each side's theological understanding on the doctrine of grace. 
the controversy began to abate somewhat in 1607, after the decade-long papal commission on the controversy reached a kind of stalemate on the matter, having met under three successive popes. If the Dominican order in Ireland faced a future, a prep course before being instructed by members of a body such as the Jesuits that amounted to theological adversaries of the order might seem like a logical, if not an imperative, course of action. I'm going to conclude this paper by looking at the family of Nicholas Lynch, Fitzstephen, Fitzarthur. The Wardenship of Galway had made a complaint about Lynch in 1596 concerning Lynch's refusal to pay his alms to St Nicholas's. Lynch had been mayor in 1584 and was likewise an agent to Clonrickard in the 1570s. He seems to have spent most of his adult life between Lisbon and Galway and indeed one Anthony of St. Mary Lynch was described as the son of Nicholas Lynch and Julianne Martin and having worked in Lisbon before beginning his studies at St. Patrick's Patrick's College at Lisbon in 1602 en route to becoming a Dominican friar. Nicholas Lynch's eldest son was Sir Henry Lynch who was also agent for Clonrickard for the 15 years before 1635. Another son was Nicholas Lynch O.P., the last, the Irish Dominican provincial from 1627 until 1634. By 1622, the friars attached to the Clada Church is the largest Dominican community in Ireland. And three years later, the corporation of the town under its then mayor, Thomas Lynch, Friar Nicholas's brother, <coughs> grants a special status for Dominicans with respect to all free schooling in the town. Nicholas Lynch is prior the same year that the Dominicans opened the school, which, as Thomas Flynn points out, was open to serve the the needs of the young people of Galway and others from outside by providing courses in the humanities, liberal arts and theology, all without fees. Friar Nicholas was the theologian and head of of this short-lived institution, whose four lectors were Peter Martin O.P., Stephen Lynch O.P., Dominic Lynch OP and Richard Birmingham OP. The Friar Nicholas, Friar Nicholas Lynch opens a, a, a rosary confraternity in Galway and as the younger brother of Sir Henry Lynch was uncle to Sir Rubick Lynch, the second baronet, the same Sir Rubick who with the Birminghams of Athenry joined Colonel John Burke's forces in 1642. But Sir Rubick's daughter, Eleanor Lynch, marries Charles O'Shaughnessy of Gort. Eleanor Lynch, alias Shocknessy, joins the Athenry confraternity of the most blessed rosary of the thrice-sacred Virgin Mary, Mother of God, as does her son. The Dominican confraternity in which Rubik Lynch's daughter joins in the late 1670s reflects County Galway families with centuries-long attachments to the Dominicans, such as Clon Rickards, various prominent Burke households of East Galway, the Birminghams, O'Hines, O'Maddens and indeed O'Shocknessys, as well as O'Connor and O'Kelly landowners of County Galway. Prominent members of the Dillon family also appear in his paid paper pages, such as Viscount Lucas Dillon, with his date of death likewise noted. Membership also extensively reflects Galway merchant or tribal uh, families, such as the Blakes of Athenry and Ballyglunan, um, the Frenches of Durris, and a number of prominent Lynch families, as well as Browns, Bodkins, Darcy's, Joyce's and Kerwin's. 
It also reports frequent mention of families with more ancient attachment to East Galway, the East Galway region, such as Lallys and Fahys, as well as Killykellys, Mannions, Tullys, Nyocktons, Callanans and Trassies or Tracies. In the case of the Tullys, centuries-long physician family to the O'Connors, one Micus Tullus Medicus appears on the margins of one of its pages. The register also highlights dailies of Cohans, Canes, and to a lesser extent, O'Donoghue's, McDermott's and McDermott's Row. Now, Ellen, Eleanor Lynch, Shocknessy's son, Cullamon O'Shocknessy, also appear, appears on his pages. Cullamon's family lost everything after Ockram, after which, at the age of 16, he travelled to France in 1691 and joined Dorrington's uh, regiment. He laid down a sword as the 18th century began and entered Louvain, where he took the habit of St. Dominic for the con- convent of Athenry. He was prior at Athenry and Galway before becoming Irish-Dominican provincial. When in Galway, he went under the alias of his mother's name, Lynch. He was, the titled, he was titled The O'Shocknessy sometime before he died. In the Athenry Annals, when the ab- abbey... When the abbey first opened, a predecessor of his, Rory O'Shocknessy, had given unspecified gifts to the first friars of that most noble abbey. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.